Genesis chapter 12 is where we will begin this week. And if you are a visitor, we're glad you're here. And we are in the middle of a series called The Pursuit. And we are talking about how God is pursuing his fame and his glory in the Old Testament specifically, especially through pursuing people. And last week we looked at a guy named Noah who built a boat. And um, God said, get on the boat for 120 years. God told Noah to preach about the righteousness of God and to repent and to get on the boat. Nobody got on the boat except Noah and his family. God was pursuing Noah in this thing we call covenant, covenant relationship, where God is the pursuer and God is the one who enters into relationship with us. And tonight we're going to look a little bit more at this idea of covenant with a guy named Abraham. And uh, we're going to meet Abraham tonight. Many of us have met Abraham before. But we're going to maybe meet him in a different way. And Abraham was a guy who um, God pursued covenant with him. And we're going to see that God pursued a different kind of covenant. Basically, God came to Abraham and said, hey, I'm going to make you a very old man, have a lot of kids, and um, you're going to father all the great nation. And um, to do this covenant, you're going to cut yourself in a place you don't want to cut yourself. And all of your family is going to cut themselves in a place they don't want to cut themselves. And uh, we'll, we'll dig into that here in a little bit. So uh, let me pray for us again and just pray that God would speak to us through his word before we start tonight. Let's pray. Father God, your word is um, it's holy. It's right. It's good. And God, you speak to us primarily through your word. And so, God, I pray that tonight as we journey through the story of Abraham, many times we can get lost in the details of things like this. God, but tonight I pray that you would speak loudly to us about what you want us to hear and so, God, we uh, ask you to speak. We're listening. And, God, we listen as an act of worship. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So if you're in Genesis chapter 12, just kind of hold your place there. I wanted to throw something on the screen that, um, that I was going to show you last week but kind of forgot. And I wanted to show you this before we got any further. Basically, last week when we started with Noah, we saw that there was this lineage of, of names and people. And basically, God was communicating that through all these people he's pursuing. And if you remember last week, it said so-and-so was born and they lived so many years and then they died. And then so-and-so was born and they lived so many years and they died. If you look at Genesis chapter 5 and you look at the lineage leading up to Noah, it's really interesting because the Bible is always speaking. Jesus was very, very clear when he was talking about the word of God. He said not a jot or a tittle will pass. He said every little word matters. So every little word in the scripture matters, even the genealogies. I want to prove that to you. If I didn't do that last week, we're going to do it a little bit more this week. If you got that slide, go to that, that first slide. I want to show you something about these names in Genesis 5 before we continue on for a little bit tonight. Here's what Genesis 5, the lineage says. Each name means something, okay? Every name in the scriptures means something, especially these names in the Old Testament, and they have deep meaning. Let me just walk through this with you, and then we'll connect the dots and carry on with Abraham. Adam means man. Adamo is Hebrew word for man. Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal. Kenan means sorrow. Mahalel means the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Lamech means despairing. Lamech was Noah's dad. And Noah means rest and comfort. These are successive people. So here's what this looks like when you take these names and you lay them out. Here's what it says. Tell me if God's not communicating through his word. Man who was appointed mortal, sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching and his death shall bring the despairing rest and comfort. You tell me that God doesn't speak through his word. He's laid it out in Genesis 5. So let's go to Genesis chapter 12. This just blew everyone's mind. You're like, okay, let's go home. You know? <laughs> uh, Genesis chapter 12. If you're not stoked about that, then I don't know what stokes you, man. 
freaking latte can't do that for me. Um, Genesis chapter 12, we'll start in verse 1. And just like last week, we're going to read a, bu- a bunch of scripture. And, and what we're going to do, I'm going to show you snapshots of Abraham's life. We're going to see snapshots of his life. There's a lot here, so we're not going to hit everything. But we're going to see these snapshots. And we're going to kind of take out these pictures and see this guy, Abraham. And what you're going to see in Abraham is that you're going to find a lot of you and a lot of me in Abraham. He's a normal guy. And just like Abraham and just like Noah, God is pursuing. So watch this. At the end of 11, you see the descendants continuing on from the Tower of Babel. What happens in the Tower of Babel, just to kind of set this up, is all these nations are together. They spoke one language. And then God decided to confuse them because they were building a tower for their name. Anytime anybody in the scripture or today wants to do anything for their name, God will jack up your plans. Because he does not want anything to be for anybody's name but his name. So he messes their plans up. He spreads them out all over the face of the earth. And at that point in Genesis 11, you had the beginning of nations and you had the beginning of languages. You had the beginning of tribes and tongues. And in Revelation 7, 9, we know that someday they'll all be back together worshiping Jesus, not making a name for themselves, making a name for Jesus. Pretty cool. But here in Genesis chapter 12, we see this guy named Abraham. Now look at verse one. It says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, because he hasn't changed his name yet to Abraham. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make you a great name, so that you will be blessed. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, verse 4, Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all of their possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place called Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, whom he had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country of the east of Bethel and pitched a tent there with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward Negeb. So basically what happens here is this, is that God calls Abraham out and he calls him out with a promise. There's a couple promises here that are going to drive the rest of the story as we look at these snapshots. Snapshot number one is God pursues Abraham. Abraham is a pagan. He is not a worshiper of God. He's not a worshiper of God. He's a pagan guy that God pursues. And he says, hey, I'm going to do something amazing through you. And he makes three promises right here. Three promises that drive the rest of the story. He promises a couple things. The first thing he does is he promises to give Abraham land, a lot of land, like real estate. He says, We're going to, I'm going to give you this land and you are going to be a great nation. So he says, I'm going to give you land, but I wouldn't just give you land so you can hang out in it by yourself. I'm going to make you and your descendants an amazingly huge nation, which communicates to Abraham, you're going to have kids. Because at this point, Abraham had no children. He's 75 years old. No kids. So he says, you're going to have kids. You and your wife are going to be very busy. You're going to have a lot of children. And you're going to be a great nation. Now, I'm just not talking like five kids. Like we see people with 10 kids and, they, and we're like, man, that's crazy, man. You know, like Scott Odom, the middle school pastor here, he's just found out he's having his fourth child. And he's like kind of like wide eyed, you know, like four kids. I can imagine what Abraham said when God said, you're going to have a whole nation of kids. Like, dude, I can't do that. Right. That's not happening. My wife is old. I'm old. That's not happening. So he says, you're going to be a great nation. You're going to have a lot of kids. You're going to have land. This is this is sounding good, apart from the kids, maybe land. 
And then he says, all the nations and all the peoples will be blessed through you. And basically, here's what that means, is that he's going to have land, he's going to have nations, he's going to have kids, and all the nations of the world will be blessed through him. But if you look at this, what it really is saying is that all the nations of the world will find redemption through the nation that will come from Abraham. It's pointing to Jesus. He says, they will be blessed through you. So Abraham goes and he takes off and he goes and he goes for the land. He takes Lot with him. Lot was very wealthy at this point. So he takes all of Lot's stuff. He takes Lot. He takes a bunch of people from Haran and they take off to this land that God's going to give him. Now, this is huge because to leave the place where you were from, to leave your father, to leave your family, that's what he did. He left all of that stuff, which was a huge act of faith for Abraham because it was leaving his identity and it was leaving his comfort. God called him out of that which he identified himself with. And he says, I'm going to give you a new identity. And later on, he's going to give him a new name and he's going to draw him out of the place where he is comfortable and send him to a place where he will do a great thing. And, and I just want to pause there for a second because maybe God is calling you to do something that is not very comfortable and it means sacrificing what you find your identity in and you don't want to do that. But God wants to do a great thing through you. And what he called Abraham to was to leave your comfort, leave what you find your identity in and find your identity in me and go where I tell you to go. And he says, if you do it, it's going to be amazing. I'm going to use you to change the world, Abraham. So he moves. He goes. Now, He moves and he goes and he does so and he takes all these people with him. And so that is kind of snapshot number one. God makes a promise to Abraham. He calls him out and he does so kind of with a promise. And so when Abraham gets there, he realizes that there's a famine. If you've got your Bible, look at verse 10. It says, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. He was about to enter Egypt, and he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman of beautiful appearance. He looks at her and basically says, I know you're hot. (laughs) I did good. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me. Basically, when the Egyptians see you, they will think you are so hot that they will want to kill me so they can have you. So he comes up with a plan. Abram's a smart guy. He says, here's what I'll do. I will tell them that you are my sister. And this isn't even Tennessee, man. So, (laughs) sorry, Charlie. (laughs) I'm from Tennessee, okay? He says, he says in verse 13, he says, I will tell him that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that you may have that I may have my life spared. So Abraham's really thinking about his wife here. So when Abraham entered Egypt, he saw the Egyptians and the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Now, I won't go into detail, but yeah. Verse 17 says this. The Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that this was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So I took her as my wife. And now then here is your wife. Take her and go. He said, get this woman out of my face because great plagues have come upon me because of that. So you see that Abraham had this amazing experience with God. And then immediately he's walking into Egypt going, whatever, you're not my wife. You can go. He gives his wife to Pharaoh so that he will not die. He goes from this, this, this interaction with God, this experience with God, and then immediately this, this distrust with God. And here's what we're going to see as we journey through Abraham's story is this right here. You ever feel like that with your relationship with God? <laughs> you have this amazing God experience. Maybe one day you're in the Word. You have this amazing God experience. You go to camp. You have this amazing God experience. And then you come back, and you've met with God, and then you do something Crazy. Most of us look at this and go, why would he do that? Why would we do the things that we do? 
If someone looked at our life and our life was written on paper, someone would look at my life and go, that Matt guy was an idiot if people knew what I did. People knew what I did all through my life. You go, that guy's an idiot. He met with God and, and now he's off doing this ridiculous, stupid, sinful thing. How could he do that? Because we're sinful and God has to change our hearts. So here's what continues on. If you got your Bibles, we'll look in chapter 15 and we're going to skip here for a little bit. The first picture is that God calls Abraham and he calls him with these three promises, land, children, which will become a nation and redemption through the line of Abraham. Chapter 15 we see that God kind of confirms this promise with this thing called a covenant. Now, last week we said a covenant is basically this. When two parties enter into an agreement, sometimes there are covenants that are conditional. Sometimes there are covenants that are unconditional. God enters into mostly unconditional covenants with us. The Abrahamic covenant, which we're about to look look at, is an unconditional covenant for the most part. So here's what he does. Chapter 15, many, many years later, look at verse 1. It says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens. And the number of stars, are you able to count them, he said to him. So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it unto him as righteousness. And then he said to him, verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, this is not Christmas, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, and he cut them in half, and he laid them half over against each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down the carcass, Abraham drove them away. So what is God doing here? Here's what God is doing. Abraham is in the moment of doubt. Now I want to differentiate between doubt and unbelief because a lot of us may look at Abraham and go, years have passed and Abraham is asking a question. God, you told me, you told me I would have land, real estate. You told me I would have this great nation. I don't even have one child. I don't even have a son. And I'm getting old, and I'm about to die. And there's this guy named Eliezer Damascus who's going to inherit everything that I have. But I just don't think that that was your plan because you told me I'd have kids, and I'm really old now. It's different to doubt God and and then live in unbelief. There's a difference. Here's what I think Abraham is doing. Abraham is not living in unbelief. He's being honest with God. He is doubting, but he's taking his doubt to God. There are going to be times in your life where God has told you something, made a promise to you, shown you a vision of something. But but for you to live in unbelief would be to deny God and walk away from him. But to doubt is healthy when it drives you to the living God. And that's what his doubt did. He begins to cry out to God and says, God, I don't even have a son. How are you going to make a nation out of me? And God says, "Okay, you know what I'm going to do? Those three promises that I made you, I'm going to make them into a covenant now. I'm going to covenant with you. So God is upping the ante, so to speak. And and watch what he does. He takes Noah. I mean, he takes Abraham and he takes him outside. (laughs) It's like Abraham said, it's like God said to Abraham, he said, okay, we're going to take this outside and I'm going to show you. So he takes him outside and he has him look at the stars in the sky. Now, most of us who've grown up in in church or around church or heard heard this story, you've heard all the stars in the sky, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. Now, here's a guy struggling with doubt. Here's what I want you to see as we kind of journey on here. Look at verse 12. 
as the sun was going down. Stop there. So he took him outside a couple verses before that. He said, come outside. Let's look at the stars. And then a couple verses later, here's what we see. The sun is setting. So you tell me, can you see stars in the middle of the day? No. Now, are the stars there? Yes. But you can't see them. Here's what God does. And we read a lot into the passage when we read the passage sometimes. We go, oh, yeah, he saw all the stars. And go, oh, yeah, all the stars, and that's my descendants. Okay, I get it, God. Cool, let's go eat Cheetos. No. He walks outside, and God says, look at all the stars. And here's what Abraham's probably doing. It's still day. Why do we know that? Because the sun had not gone down yet. It says later, as the sun was going down. So he's looking into the sky. And this makes perfect sense when you begin to think about it. Because he's looking up going, I don't see anything. And God goes, I know. But they're there. Oh, they're there. You just can't see it. Because Abraham, you can't see what I see. And if you could see what I see, you would see all the stars in the sky because I see the sun and the moon and the stars and I see day and I see night all at the same time. You can't see it, Abraham, but I see it. And for some of us in this room, God has said something to you or shown you something and you're going, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? And you're asking God and God's going, you can't see it, but I can see it. Stars were there, but he couldn't see it. I love that about God. And so he asked Abraham to trust him. So he takes Abraham and it says in verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 12, that as the sun was going down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And behold, a dreadful and a great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. Here's what God is doing. He's saying, These people who are going to enter into this land, who are going to be your nation, will go into great slavery in a land that is not theirs. Next week, not next week, but two weeks from now, we will talk about Moses and we'll talk about the Israelites in Egypt. And for almost 400 years, they were enslaved. God is telling Abraham, your people a long time from now will be slaves in Egypt. But then he does this. Look at this. Look at verse 14. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Here's what God is saying. Abraham, your people will suffer. They will be enslaved. They will be in a land that is not theirs for 400 years. You will go and be with your fathers in peace. You're going to die. You will not see the end. You won't see it. Abraham would not see that which God had promised him. He would not see the fullness of what God was promising him. But he said, there will be a day where I draw your people out and I will give them what I've promised you. And so the question is, sometimes do we have enough faith in God to trust that he will finish what he started, even if we don't get to see it? Even if we don't get to see it. Abraham, that day was told by God he would not get to see it. But what God would do was enter into covenant with him and As I said last week, covenant typically, when two parties would enter into an agreement together, they would cut the animals in two, and then the party who was agreeing to it would walk through the animals, and there'd be blood spilled everywhere. It'd be a nasty mess. And basically what the person entering into covenant was saying was, as I walk through these animals, if I don't keep this covenant, then let what has happened to these animals happen to me. That was what would happen during a covenant agreement or an oath. And what what happens here is God enters into covenant with Abraham. It's not Abraham walking through the animals. Check this out as we continue on the passage. It says this, 17, verse 17. 
When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, to the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites and the Kenites and the Kedamites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and all the Ites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Gershites and the Jebusites. That's a lot of Ites. It says that there was a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch that passed through the animals that day. The imagery of God. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And here's what we know, and we'll see this in a couple weeks, is as God is leading his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he leads them through the wilderness, and he's leading them by a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. <laughs> here's what God is doing. He's saying, this is who I am, and this is how my presence will lead your people someday. And so as he makes the covenant with them, it is a pillar of fire and smoke weaving through the animals that day, saying, I will finish what I started, and I will lead your people out of slavery as a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. God is using all this imagery to say, I will finish what I've started because I'm making a covenant with you. And it's not Abraham that walked through the animals. It's God. God started it. God will finish it. So we see that snapshot. We kind of move on to Acts, uh, not Acts, Genesis chapter 16, and we see this another snapshot of Abraham's life, and it's Abram's act of disbelief. So basically, he just entered into this amazing thing with God, a covenant. And it says, even in chapter 15, look back up at verse 6 before we move to 16. It says, He believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So in that moment, I'm not real sure what happened in Abraham's heart, but it says he enacted faith in God's promise, and it was credited to him, imputed to him, counted to him as righteous. Abraham was not righteous. He was a wicked man like everyone else in Noah's time. He was wicked like us. He was wicked, but because he believed in the promise of God, he was made pure before God. The same way that people are saved now by looking at Jesus and having faith in him was the same way that people in the Old Testament were saved, by believing in the promise of God. They just didn't know what it was at that point. It was credited righteousness to him. So he has this amazing moment with God. And here's what I want you to see, this up and down roller coaster. Watch what he does now. He begins to disbelieve God, and now he's not acting in doubt. He's actually acting in disbelief. If you've got your Bibles, look at chapter 16. It says, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne no children. Okay, this, this amazing moment with God. God makes a covenant. Yes, I'm thinking tomorrow he's waking up with a kid. No kid. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has presented, prevented me from bearing children. So go to my servant that it may be that I shall obtain a child from her. Basically, here's what she said. She said, Abraham, go have a relationship with Hagar, my servant, and she can bear a child for us. Maybe God is not going to come through, and so maybe you need to go and make an alternate plan. Can I just tell you something? When you start to make alternate plans for what God has for your life, it always ends up bad. It always does. Watch what happens. Abraham listened to his wife. Probably a mistake at this point. Just saying. Verse 3. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as his wife. And he went to her, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. 
And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. So Sarah, his wife, says, maybe God's not going to come through on his promise, so we have to take matters into our own hands. How many of you, without a show of hands, have taken matters into your own hands? And it always ends up messed up. You're not patient enough. I'm not patient enough to wait on the plan of God. And so I take matters into my own hands and we end up having an Ishmael. We end up having something that God did not originally intend for us to have. Because Isaac would be the child of the promise and Ishmael would not. From the line of Isaac, redemption would come. From the line of Ishmael, it would not. And so what happens is this, is that This whole thing begins to get messed up. God had made a covenant with Abraham, and in the midst of that, Abraham veers. And here's the really amazing part, is the covenant of God in the midst of that never fell apart. This is the amazing thing. Chapter 16, we see that he's doing that, but but skip over a little bit with me, and then we see something in chapter 17 as we kind of journey through his life here. How do we know the covenant didn't fall apart? Because in chapter 17, God takes the covenant to another level. If I'm God and I told Abraham, I'm going to give you children, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to make you a great nation, redemption will come through you. And then he comes back many years later and says, I'm going to make a covenant with you now. I'm upping the ante. I'm cutting animals, man. I'm walking through it. I'm showing you all these visions of what's going to happen. It's going to happen, Abraham. And he's like, okay, that's cool, God. Uh, I think I'm going to go hang out with my wife's slave now. God is probably like, what are you doing? If I'm God, I'm washing my hands of this dude because I'm done. I'm going to go find somebody else. But here's what God does in his faithfulness. He begins to take the covenant to another level, and he's going to give Abraham a sign. Now, Abraham got a sign that I'm not sure that I want to get on my covenant. Noah had a sign. His sign was a rainbow. He asked God. He said, God, give me a sign. And God said, okay, the Noahic covenant, when you see a rainbow, I will not flood the earth again. So every time you see a rainbow, God is not flooding the earth, man. There may be some floods, but it's not going to kill you, okay? Noah's sign is not as fun. Basically, uh, Abraham's sign is not as fun. Basically, God says, here's what I want you to do. Abraham, you are going to circumcise yourself and every guy at the, at the eighth day they are born in your line. If I'm Abraham, I'm going, can I get a rainbow? You know, <laughs> Noah got a rainbow. I'm cutting myself where it counts, right? <laughs> How'd this end up happening? Look at this chapter 17 with me. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the guy's old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. God is still confessing his promises. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but I will change your name to Abraham. He changes his name here. Verse 7, it says this, For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I love this language. God is not saying it will happen. At this point, God is declaring that it has happened. He says, I will make you a father, and you are the father of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into a nation. And kings shall come from you. Talking about King Jesus. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan and an everlasting possession. I will be their God. God is saying, I know you've messed up. I know you hung out with your wife's slave. I know you have Ishmael. I know all of this stuff has happened. I have not left you, Abraham. In fact, I'm going to up the ante. 
I'm going to make my covenant even more secure with a sign. And here's how he does it. Look at verse 9. And God said to Abraham, as for you, I shall keep my covenant. Man, that's good. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought in with money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is brought in with money shall be circumcised. So this shall be my covenant in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. God was giving them a sign so that every person would bear the mark of the covenant. And here's what later would happen. Jeremiah would say this and others in the Old Testament would say this, is that what God would do someday is go to his people and they would not have an outward sign, but he would circumcise their hearts. He would do something on the inside of them that could never be attained by doing something on the outside of them. He would change their hearts. So he starts this covenant and he says, every guy that's born, you will circumcise him. When they're eight days old, you will circumcise them. And they will bear the mark of the covenant. So you will always remember that I've entered into covenant with you. And even when you were disobedient and even when you didn't trust me, my covenant did not fail. The covenants of God do not fail. And your disobedience and my disobedience and my unfaithfulness and your unfaithfulness, God's covenants are true because God is a faithful God. Right after this Hagar experience, God comes back and goes, new covenant, here we go. So, we see these snapshots, but we see a final snapshot, and it's found in chapter 22. And then we'll kind of tie the pieces together here. If you've got your Bibles, go to chapter 22. A lot happens, more for us, more than we can really dig into. But Isaac is born in chapter 21, the son of promise, the son that the line of Abraham will come through. Jesus will come through this line. Redemption to the world will come through this line. Isaac is born. And so God has given Abraham that which he has promised him. He's given him Isaac. He's given him the promise. And so what happens if God gives you something that he has promised to you and he gives it to you and now he has it, this prized possession, the son of promise, Isaac. And then one day God comes to Isaac and to, and to Abraham and tells him to do a pretty crazy thing. Look at verse 1. After these things, it says that God tested Abraham, and he said to Abraham, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Can you imagine that? Like you've waited years, years for this promised child. And God has given him Isaac. And now what God does is he comes to him and says, hey, Abraham, one morning. Abraham's having his quiet time, right? He's talking to God. And God says, you know that boy that I told you I'd give you? Yeah. Here's what I want you to do. What, God? I want you to take him, and I want you to go out to Moriah. And I want you to take wood, and I want you to take a knife. And I want you to march up that mountain with your son. And I want you to take my promise that I have delivered on. And I want you to put him on that altar. And I want you to sacrifice him. Can you imagine the blow that hit Abraham's stomach at that moment? 
But God, you promised me the son. This is how the nations are going to come forth. This is how the land will happen. This is how the blessing will happen. Redemption is going to come from the son. You can't be serious, God. God says, take him and put him on the altar and sacrifice him. And I wonder even in my own life, in our lives, if God has given us something great to us and it's a promise to us and God has given us something really good and it's from God and God says, hey, put that on the altar and sacrifice it to me. If we would be willing to lay that down and trust God with the results. God's given you a talent, a musical talent by which maybe you can lead people to worship him. And God says, I want you to lay that down. God's given you a relationship, and he says, I want you to lay that down. God has given you something, but I I don't want you to miss the point here because here's the deal. God was saying, that which I've told you redemption will come, lay it down and sacrifice it. And at this point, Abraham could have gone, nope, because he's been known to take matters into his own hands, right? Watch what he does. It says, verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, he saddled his donkey, he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place which God had told him. Abraham immediately obeys, immediate obedience. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Notice his faith in this, that I and the boy will come again to you, that God is going to make a way here. Verse 6, and Abraham took the wood, burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both, so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said to him, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood is here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went together. When they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built an altar there, and he laid the wood in the altar, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Now, I just want you to put yourself in Isaac's shoes, (laughs) and I want you to put yourself in Abraham's shoes. You've taken your only son, and you have laid him on the altar, and you have strapped him like an animal, and you are about to slit his throat like they would a sacrifice because God has told you to. You said, that's ridiculous. He was being radically obedient to God, radically obedient to God. And the whole time Abraham looking around going, God is going to provide. God is going to provide. And it says this, verse 11, as Abraham reaches the knife up to slit his son's throat, the promised child that God told him he would give him. Verse 11 says this, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Do not. Lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went, he took the ram, and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his own son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. God provided a sacrifice. Why did he test Abraham? I think he tested him to see if he would be willing to give up that which was most precious to him. My question to you and to me tonight is, are we willing to give up that which is most precious to us? Even if it seems like a good and godly thing. For Abraham, it was the most godly thing because he understood in some sense that redemption would come through this boy. 
through his son and his son's son and his son's 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 son, redemption would come through the line of Isaac. Jesus would come through this line. And it's so prophetic because God supplied the sacrifice. Jesus has been supplied by God Almighty as our sacrifice. And it wasn't the fact that that Abraham did all of this, that he was tested by God and that he went to the land and he did all these things that brought him this righteousness. Back in chapter 15, in verse 6, I believe, it says that he believed, he had faith, and it was credited to him, it was counted to him as righteousness. This is a theme all throughout the New Testament. If you've got your Bibles, go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 4. We'll kind of end with this tonight. Romans chapter 4, look at verse 22 following. It says this. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord and who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul in the book of Romans talks about Abraham. He said his faith is what credited him righteousness, not his works. It's a theme that goes all throughout Scripture, that Abraham wasn't a good guy that decided to like sacrifice his son and did what God said, and then God said, I like you, you're righteous now. No, from the beginning, even before all of his mess-ups and his screw-ups and his disbelief, he believed God and it was given to him righteousness. What does it mean to have something credited to you? This is justification. Everyone say justification. Nice big biblical word. Here's what it means. It means to legally have something credited to you on your account that is not yours. Imputed righteousness. To impute something means to put something on one's account. So here's the reality is that just like Abraham, we are credited righteousness not through what we do, but through who we believe, God. And it says that in the book of Romans, and it says that in the book of Galatians, and James even says that, that we are credited righteous through who we believe, not what we do. Because if it was about what we did, then in chapter 17 and 18, and when God is telling Abraham to do certain things, and he's disbelieving God and disobeying God, then he would have lost that righteousness. But it was never about Abraham. It was always about God. And it's always about God's covenant that he pursues, he maintains his covenant, and someday he will culminate in Jesus. Because Abraham was looking forward to the promise, we look back to the promise. We look back to Christ on the cross, our sin on him, his blood, his death, and we put faith in that. But Abraham and all the guys in the Old Testament are looking forward to the promise, and they don't really know what it looks like, but they know that redemption is coming. It was credited to Abraham as righteous because he believed God, and he believed his promise. For some of us tonight, you are trying to buy or maintain your righteousness on works. And sometimes we fall into this trap where because we grew up in a Baptist church, for some of us, we hear you're saved by faith through grace. You're saved by faith through grace. You're saved by faith through grace. But then we kind of live out this theology that sounds something like this. Yeah, I'm saved by faith through grace, so I don't do anything to get salvation, but then I have to work really hard to keep favor with God. And if I mess up, then I don't have this favor with God anymore, and God doesn't like me as much as he did before. That is a very, very 
Catholic way of thinking about salvation, to be honest with you. That I'm saved by faith through grace, and then I have to work to keep it. The reality is your whole life is grace, 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 grace. Your whole life is faith counted to you as righteousness. Not because of what you do, because of what God has done. And his covenant maintains even when you don't maintain your part. It's always grace. And it always was from Abraham. In Abraham, God is pointing to Jesus and saying, there will be a day where a king will come and he will be the final sacrifice and God will supply the sacrifice and to trust Jesus, it will be given righteousness to you. In here tonight, maybe you're trying to maintain your righteousness by being really good and you can't do that. Your goodness does not maintain your righteousness. Christ's covenant that never ends, maintains your righteousness and your standing before God and your favor with God. It's Christ. So rest in that. Does that mean you can go out and sin all you want to? No. Paul talks about that in Romans. He said, should we sin more? Should sin abound because of this? No, not at all. It should drive us to want to live a holy pursuit of God because we know that God is faithful even when we're faithless. But some of us in here have never entered into covenant with Jesus. And as Abraham looked forward, we have the opportunity of looking back to Christ. And maybe tonight you need to enter into covenant with Christ. Christ Jesus has been the covenant. As those animals were cut that day, and God made that covenant with Abraham, and the blood of those animals was spilled, 2,000 years ago, Christ was crushed, his blood was spilled, and he was the covenant. He was the covenant maker, and he was the covenant, and he was the sacrifice. He was all of it that day, so that we could be made righteousness. So that we could have the righteousness of Christ. All of our sin was laid on him. For you, for me, for everybody. And Abraham points to that. That through him, a nation would be born. And through that nation, a king would come. And through that king, redemption would come for all the nations of the world, including us, in Christ. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed as the band comes, we're going to sing a little bit more tonight, worship a little bit more together. But I want you to think about um, if God has laid something on your heart and you are waiting patiently for him, but maybe you have taken matters into your own hands. Maybe you have tried to run ahead of God like Abraham did. Maybe tonight you are trying to maintain your standing before God in works. You know that you're saved by faith through grace, but maybe you feel like you have to maintain that by being a really good person. Tonight you just need to rest in the fact that Christ is your righteousness and he is your covenant and he is the sacrifice for the covenant. And maybe tonight you've never accepted that, that sacrifice of Christ. You'd say, I need to be in relationship, in covenant relationship with Jesus. Tonight you can do that. You can cry out to God. The Bible says those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall enter into this covenant relationship with Jesus and saved from the wrath of God and be made righteous before God. And it simply happens by crying out to Jesus and being honest with him tonight and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I need you. I know that you are the covenant and you are the covenant maker. I want to have a relationship with you tonight. Not religion, relationship. Just like Abraham had. A God who's faithful and we're faithless. Tonight we're going to worship some more.
And if you need to make any kind of decision or just spend some time praying tonight or talk to someone, the prayer room is open. As you walk out of here, just right to your right and then take a left to the prayer room. There's people in there that want to pray with you. Or you can just go in there and be by yourself and pray. We're going to worship tonight. We're going to worship our covenant God who maintains his covenants even when we are faithless. And he started that with Abraham. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight that you are faithful, God. I thank you for Abraham. And I thank you that his story is in Scripture. I thank you for these snapshots of his life, God, where we see a man just like us who experiences you greatly but then walks away from you quickly. God, our, our souls are prone to wonder. But your covenant is strong. Your love is strong. And it goes nowhere. So God, I pray that tonight, if our hearts have wandered, you would draw us back to you. That we would see a vision of your faithfulness and your goodness, and you would draw us back to you. God, for those of us in this room, maybe who have taken plans in our own hands, because we have forgotten your promises, we have lost patience maybe, God, you would would cause us to stop and give everything back to you. God, we would take the most precious things in our life and like Abraham, lay them on the altar and say, God, whatever you want, even if it doesn't make sense to me, I will lay it on this altar. It is yours. It is yours. So, Father, we worship you tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship our God.